autopsy, lesson plan, week one, homeschool, COVID pandemic 2020 with Professor G. Dixon. I'm walking right now outside of uh, Lawrence and the Baker wetlands, but I'm doing a little experiment. But I really like my, my earlier experiment, how much the nature sound came through, the chirp, chirp of the birds. It's nice. I mean, normally I don't like any technology on my walks. I just zone out. But I do have work I got to get done, and I've got to learn to find a way to get more hikes in my in my day and and get more done. So I'm gonna have to try and combine work with life to make my lifestyle sustainable. Got to stay healthy. And that means I got to get about six miles a day before, well, 10 by 10, 10,000 steps by 10 o'clock every day. That's five miles. But I need to get probably close to 20,000 steps a day. Been doing that the last couple of weeks, feel a lot better. How can I do that when school starts again? We're going to have to move things online, but things online anyway, why not move it on the road? The goal for today is to finally do and craft for future podcast. An autopsy of week one, trying to teach my son something. And when I do this podcast, cast, do I have to cite everything? Because anyone who's successfully completed being a grad student could speak in quotes. And it's really hard not to. And I think we should. I think there's an obligation where, you know, stealing the best bits from past scholarship. And if we have to drop drop names, we'll name check where we can. I, I just, I, let me name check Twain there. Eschew superfluous verbiage. Great writing advice. Twain and Stephen King both give great writing advice. But my first failure, I also wanted to do sort of a writing across curriculum. We really started talking about disease and exponential growth because that way we could talk about math stuff at the same time. What is exponential growth? Do we understand how it works? So we played with graphs and stuff. We talked a bit. Now, I used... To protect my son's identity, I will try to refer to him forthwith as the boy, unless he chooses a different moniker. I used a lot of the literature my son had already read, which was actually kind of bad. It was convenient, again, but it didn't get him excited to, you know, for the pre-activities that are essential to a good, good lesson plan. I like to quote one of Winnie's old classmates. Is pre-reading important? Is important? I think that was Eric. Uh, <laughs> he was a character. But he's right. Pre-reading is crucial. If we're going to have intellectual intercourse, <clears throat> we got to have warm-ups. you got to put people in the right frame of mind, perspective. Create a receptivity. Otherwise, you're not going to notice things, so learning is not really going to stick. Now, this might be an andragogy versus pedagogy paradox kind of thing. With kids, you don't generally have to explain why. In fact, that's just over-talking. It's blah, 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 and it alienates your son. With adults, you have to, because adults aren't going to comply unless they see how it's in their own interest for the most part. They need to have things. I'm talking as a whole. That means we're ignoring a lot of outliers that make things fun. And sometimes, well, all right, I'm digressing again. But educational theory, you know, do you teach to the center of the class, the top of the bell, bell curve, the average student, the typical student? Or do you teach to the, the top 3%? Or 
and hope the other ones catch on? Or do you teach the bottom and make sure nobody gets left behind, which sucks and doesn't really help anybody out? I like to keep everyone engaged best I can, but it never is going to happen. You're not going to be able to keep 20, all 20 students 100% on the nose every day because they've got lives too. And they're, they're never all perfect. And if they were, they have lives. And things complicate that case. My autopsy. My first mistake, unless you count, you know, using something that you'd already read. But I didn't think it was a good idea, right? Because we started off on the ball running, you know. I tried to get them to read a uh, scholarly journal. This is relevant for my teaching. I need to think about this. Now, as a student myself and a lifelong learner, I know if you want to do research, you go to the scholarly journals first, figure out what the experts say in broad terms. I mean, most of the time, I, I, never, I didn't used to read much other than the introduction, conclusions, and discussions. That's where all the good parts were. And I'd lift from there. But I'd make sure I, I could understand the concept and what they basically accomplished. Methods. After I had my doctorate, I started reading those more. The great, one of the reasons about going to journal sources, you learn about language to use, what words work. If you're going to enter them into a search box, a search engine, what keywords do you use? Because, you know, sex versus gender, it's a huge difference. I'm not intimidated by big words. And just because you don't understand something doesn't mean that the person who wrote it is smarter than you. And I know that way too well. I mean, I know the people who write these things. Some of them are full of shit. I myself am mostly not full of shit, but occasionally I can be. Sometimes intentionally. Sometimes without my um, conscious awareness, I have been full of shit. And because I have a healthy, there's a facilitative tension, the proper amount of worried to be. You don't want to worry too much, you don't perform well. If you don't care at all, you don't perform well. But you got to worry just the right amount. So facilitative tension. There's got to be a certain amount of facilitative bullshit. I don't know where I was going with this anyway. That turned my son off, the journals, which frustrates me because I love journals. And they work so well for me. But all those words. And, okay, back on my point that I've strayed from. Just because someone's brilliant doesn't mean they write well. Just because it's published. I mean, yeah, it's grammatic. Sometimes people are academics. We get used to the, the, the turns of phrase and the lexicon, really, the vocabulary, the words that people use. We get used to those, and we start using them without thinking. Now, once we learn what they, what they mean, they, they become like a shibboleth, and we're allowed into a community of people to know what the fuck they're talking about talking about this one thing that we care about. So once we master the shibboleth, we start using it too. So we can identify other people who already know what the fuck we're talking about. And, and younger people have not really been... It's They see that as... Maybe they do see that as a shibboleth, and although they may not know what that word or idea means, but they, it's hard to understand. It's like being told you're not wanted. It's an exclusive club that you're not... You haven't been introduced to. So I, I guess it's the role of the instructor to sort of like take them places they wouldn't otherwise go intellectually. And journals is one of those places. But, okay, yeah, it turned my son off. And it, it was great science, I think. I'm not really that much of a judge, but it was also written by a Chinese person, so that was relevant. And it used math. 
that I couldn't understand. And my son's math is arguably better than mine, except when it comes to exponentials, functions, and uh, probably I understand statistics better. But my my my, my con- understanding of statistics and all the math has eroded to almost a sort of magical thinking. Well, yeah. Never divide by zero. Don't ask me why, but I would never do it. I'm not going to say it's a mistake. I think it's good that I exposed my son to academic journals. But he didn't like it. And I'm not sure how successful it was at this point, but maybe I need to find academic journals that are written by more... uh, You can write about any level of uh, difficulty concept in words and language that connect to almost any reader. But that's hard. Steven Pinker does that real well. Noam Chomsky does not. Noam Chomsky has cultivated a bit of, I don't know what, abstruse, sort of mystique, sort of, which gets us some good, it's, it's a bit almost mystical, and the whole, I don't know, buying my bullshit sort of thing. But, again, I digress. I'm not going to encourage other people to take their middle school students to academic journals, but maybe I need to do a little less of that, or do it in a different way to be effective with my freshman sophomore students at all right, next thing. Uh, then we talked about the story Saboteur by Ha Jin. Ha Jin is Chinese, and it's a story that takes place in China. My son had read this one before, too, but I, he didn't know about the Cultural Revolution. And so I tried talking to him about that a little bit. Of course, my son has told me that I have a superpower. There's this idea that everyone can have a superpower. They can release it under the right circumstances. And, well... My superpower is that I can make anybody feel bad. I have the power of lecture. And if no matter how bad you feel, I can make you feel worse by talking. Words as weapons. Blunt instruments to subdue the child. I swear to God, it's not my intent. Hmm. Anyway, Saboteur, I love that story. I wonder if it's appropriate for mainstream U.S., readers. This is going to be misinterpreted. Stoke racial stereotypes regarding hygiene in the Chinese, but you got it. we're going to have to introduce that story with a healthy discussion of the Cultural Revolution. But in that story, we do have a, a, a disease, a fatal, potentially fatal disease, highly communicable. I think in this story, it's hepatitis something or other. And historically, a problem in China. It's a very well-written Beautiful short story written by a really good writer who I I resent the man. That's how good he is. I don't like that. I'm sure I wouldn't get along with him if I met him. I would measure myself against him as a writer and think, asshole. But uh, I think it's dramatic irony. I really love stories that surprise me at the end. They catch me off guard, flat-footed, um, knock me on my butt. And this story really did that. And... I really want to have people I can talk with about it. Talk about it with. I really want people I can talk about it with, period. And I thought he'd like it because literature that tears a professor in an a-hole. That tears a professor a new one. Uh, and this, the protagonist in this story, the saboteur, is a college professor who probably teaches something like rhetoric or something. So yeah, I kind of, I recognize a little bit of um, introverted a-hole in and the professor of the story. And, oh, what does that say? I don't know this. I mean, he was almost happy to be in prison. His new 
newlywed wife on their honeymoon being separated for months because of his hubris. It's fiction. But I think all good fiction has a certain ring of truth to it, a certain representative nature of the time, the place, the human condition, etc., etc. He read it. Like all writing, you can test whether they read it or not. But I think to get sort of meaningful learning that I can engage with from my perspective and type of teaching, I'm not necessarily, actually I'm pretty sure I'm not the best teacher for children. I taught kindergarten for a year in Taiwan. And, but, you know, I'm glad I did it. I learned so much from those adorable children. And they taught me, they helped me Chinese, really. It was sort of a trade-off. We got along great. But, wow. I think that one thing this COVID pandemic thing is going to teach a lot of people is to value the work of teachers, the emotional labor. Okay, back to the autopsy. We read the saboteur. I could certainly do a better job providing open-ended questions. And okay, in college classes, I I exploit my students for that. I use that as a way to assess whether or not they read it. I have them ask good questions about it for other people to answer. That shows they read it, and it gets a good discussion going. I didn't quite work so well one-on-one -on -one with my son. I got, I, we got a couple of good, I mean, I did get some pretty good engagement. And I tried to design classes, lessons, in a way that reflects universal design, I think is what it's called. This idea that you can design a, a lesson that will engage multiple levels or people on any level, wherever they are, cognitively, emotionally. And they can take it as far as they want to take it. I like to ask questions about, you know, linguistics and language and meaning that engage. And I've got some really, really powerfully thoughtful answers from the most from developmental students, non-native speakers. It's hard to do that. Other than reading the scholarly journal, reading the saboteur. We also read something a little easier. Uh, wait, yeah, it was a lesson plan on math, on exponential stuff. And so I'd really like to reach out to other people who can help me think of ways. I, I would like to have a, a nugget, a unit, a module on pandemic response and this literature that I've used. I'd like to find something maybe not necessarily better. I think there's a value to the journal I found, but I think I need to have another journal. This may be a bit more, needs to be more user-friendly.